Welcome to the Decentralized Opportunity Podcast. I'm your host, Tanner Lytle, here with your other host, Wyatt Carson. Hello, Tanner, and welcome back from your Salt Lake City trip, right? How'd that go? It was fantastic. It is a much longer drive than you realize, <laughs> and it goes entirely through I-80. So for the listeners here, I'm base camped in McCook, which is about a little 65 miles south of North Platte, which is along the interstate. So you just drive north, and then you turn left, and then it's, I think, 630 miles or something without actually taking a turn, which is pretty insane. Oh, my gosh. Yep. So it it's kind sounds of like driving across Kansas. Sorry yeah. to our Kansas listeners. But well, I, it's across I hate Wyoming. That. It, Same is, thing. Yeah. There's no, a, that's not true. Wyoming's gorgeous. Parts. And once you get to Western Wyoming, it's really gorgeous. Um, it, but the thing is, like, surprisingly, I forget how not populated Wyoming is also. Mm-hmm. Like the big town of Cheyenne, I think, is what, 60,000 people or something like that. And like that, yeah. we stopped in Laramie, and it's it's this tiny town. And you, you hear about these towns all the time, or you see them on a map, and you think, oh, yeah, these are big areas. Nope. They're just tiny. No, I've driven from south to north of Wyoming, and uh, gorgeous scenery. Just beautiful bluffs and open space, and it's beautiful stuff for people who are familiar, familiar or uh, love the prairies. But uh, yeah, and then you get into Salt Lake City. Um, I once drove from Omaha to Idaho. We went through Utah, and you're spot on. Like, eastern was just wasteland it felt like there's no uh, trees that's no the crazy tree. thing right right that's yeah. a, that's that's weird and and like for for two people from nebraska to be judging landscapes it seems a little ridiculous but i i get where you're coming from yeah. and salt lake is insanely beautiful i mean you're just going through mountains and all sorts of just crazy stuff and then it's just a city in a valley surrounded all around mountains and the other crazy thing i didn't realize but we were going through the downtown area and it's laid out ridiculously well and i was commenting how nice it is to actually travel through it and then we did a little digging and sure enough back when the mormons came brigham young designed the entire city with super wide streets in the downtown all surrounded by what their temple square is now so i don't know a little forethought in the 1800s actually led to some good civic infrastructure (laughs) compared to I know some of the towns I've lived in, I just feel like they've just grown over nothing. And then, like, you just can't get anywhere. I feel like city planners don't get enough respect. I couldn't mm-hmm. do the job. <laughs> but, yeah, um, overall, it was a really good success of an event. And it kind of sparked a topic I wanted to jump on with you today, too. So the idea, and then we have a few different strains where we can kind of talk about this. But the idea is, what is your edge? So... At the event, we went to FanX Salt Lake City, where Emily was one of hundreds of artists there. Not just vendors. There were even more vendors. That was crazy. But there was hundreds of artists, hundreds of vendors, and I think they had to get close to 150,000 people show up that weekend. It was insane on the attendance. But the question is, like, really, how do you stand out above the crowd because each person comes in with a limited budget you know you and i can (laughs) sympathize with this quite a bit Mm -hmm. and it's like where are they going to spend their money and why should they spend their money with you and this got me out thinking about what is your edge on getting whether it be business or you're trying to get that career you're trying to get your podcast (laughs) noticed all sorts of different things you have to really 
do certain things and really differentiate yourself. So I thought that might be a neat topic for us. I, and when you presented the topic to me, I love it because you and I, over the last year of doing this podcast or so, have heard many, many times, especially in our, um, our, uh, uh, Founders University, that you're not going to come up with brand new earth shattering ideas. Maybe, but it's pretty rare. Uh, more realistically is you're going to find a solution to a problem and you have to set yourself in a, in a position that, that is different from your competitors. Um, it, to find a niche that's never been discovered or never touched before is, is almost impossible. And that's because, fortunately, there's been a huge rise in entrepreneurship and online content making, and people can cover every topic ever perceived by man now. Uh, in, in, and with AI, you can do it in a matter of seconds even. Um, <clears throat> but... What I found kind of the inspiration behind that is that if you find someone who's doing something similar to you, that, per, that that's that's half your market research. You know there's a market, right? So uh, I, when you presented this, I thought, yes, I love the idea because so many people I've talked to who want to start a business, who have this wonderful idea, get really down in the dumps when they find out someone else is already doing it. And... Uh, Gosh, if we could remove that stigma of if someone's doing it, there there's obviously no room for you. This world would be such an amazing place with all the competition and the the cool ingenuity that would come out of any sort of industry. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts and, and your perspectives from this Comic Con on that. You know? Yeah. Well, and to keep with the subject of founders, you so the creator of that is Jason Calacanis, and mm-hmm. I was listening to the most recent All In podcast, and they were talking about how it looks more and more inevitable that we're going into a recession. Like Mm -hmm. the Fed came out and said that they're keeping interest rates higher. They're not going to be lowering for like a year. There's market repercussions for this. And then Jason was talking about, because he's in the investment banking world, or not investment banking, uh, venture capital. Sorry, Mm -hmm. swap there. Uh, He's in venture capital. And to do that, and part of it is they build these funds where they go out to limited partners and raise money, and then from those, that's what they invest into uh, different startups and companies, and then that the returns from that get redistributed back to those limited partners. And he said that due to the restraints coming on right now, he is finding that people are cutting the amount of funds that they're actually working with. So he's like, I come in with my edge, which is, he said, I have two podcasts, one of which this week in startups, he said, gets around 50 million downloads a year. And I would wager the All In podcast gets way more than that. So he can come in and say, like, hey, I have this built-in audience. I get thousands of entrepreneurs applying to our incubator funds, like Founders U and different things like that, <clears throat> launch. And that's what sets me apart. And if you're just a regular permission-to-play baseline person, you don't stand a chance, especially when things get tighter. So... No, it, and, and it makes perfect sense. And I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity. I think, I think people could take that statement and continue to go down the rabbit hole of this will never work. You know, I don't have the skill set, or someone's already doing it better. Blah 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 blah. <clears throat> uh, that's that's a great perspective to have because once again, there could be a, a thousand people doing the exact same thing as you, but if you figure out how to solve the problem better or to gain a different type of attention, 
and to stand out from the crowd, you're going to rise to the top versus just sticking with the same old, same old and, and, you know, the same business processes as your competitor or anything like that. Um, there's nothing wrong with being second to the market is what I'm saying. As long as you can learn from the mistakes of the previous people. Yeah. Well, it's all about how much value you provide to whomever you're trying to get something out of. Mm-hmm. So again, if we're talking about a consumer business or a B2B business, something where you're selling goods and services to someone else, they're really looking for their problem solved. They don't care that you're first to the market. They don't care if you're a hundred to the market. They just will want to have the trust in you. And it's hard in now in a C like you were talking about with AI stuff and now being able to generate different advertisements so quickly and people are just blasting so much noise. It's really, really hard to separate yourself from that. And that's where, again, it aligns to that convention. Like I was saying, there's hundreds of stalls of booths and tables set up with thousands, tens of thousands of really beautiful pieces of art being shown. How is it your pieces going to catch someone's eye and resonate with them enough to be something that they're willing to decide I need this. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really something that I I feel like most people really don't think about because they think like, Oh, this is cool. I want to do this. Or I like my art or why aren't, you know, people will buy this. And then they don't actually think about that next level deeper is like, well, it's good here, but if you're surrounded by a bunch of others, what's going to make you stand apart? No, <clears throat> it's spot on. And it extends from the entrepreneurial world into the corporate world. Um, I've made a, a f- and, and I'll, I'll never claim to be the end all be all of any sort of topic. That's just irrational to think, but I have found a lot of career success in my life by finding something that makes me unique, making it known and adding ridiculous value to whoever wants to find value in what I do. And, uh, you know, this this conversation comes on a really good topic as uh, I've been talking with our friends group. We've talked about our Discord several times in this podcast <clears throat> that I recently stumbled upon, upon a fantastic opportunity to at first glance what seems like taking a step back in my career education but honestly uh, I view it as maybe a potential redirection so um, I'm 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 uh, I do Lean Six Sigma I do process improvement and uh, Lean Six Sigma is a unique kind of certification and path to follow it follows what kind of feels like karate belts there's a yellow belt there's a green belt there's a black belt and then there's a master black belt <clears throat> and it's just how they identified the various levels of knowledge and uh over the m- many years i've been doing my my job um i've attained a master black belt certification which says i can train other people i understand all the concepts i can direct others in in pro you know process improvement projects it's great and it's it's been a it's been a wonderful boon to me as following that that educational path but recently uh i've been really thinking about man my my education my my continuing education in in my career path has really stalled i haven't taken any new classes i haven't attended any conferences and for a while that was okay with me but it's starting to kind of wear on me and realizing I might be falling behind my peers. So I really do- dove into that research and I 
uncovered something that really clicked in my head. It matched my personality. It matched my my personal thoughts and and beliefs and also can continue to bolster my career. And what I'm talking about is not the subject of this podcast, of course, but it's something called Green Lean Six Sigma. And the intent behind it, it was uh, studied at first in a college in India, and then it's moved on to Stanford University and Michigan University, and, and it's becoming a bit more discussed in the educational field. It's a mix of Lean Six Sigma methodology with um, conservationalism and um, reducing um, waste in the sense of emissions and recycling and electricity usage and water, you know, um, and it's, it's, it's a greener initiative to the skill set that I already possess. <clears throat> so I have gone and signed up for a course and um, to go back to the green belt level of my certification. So yellow, green, black, master black belt. I'm going all the way back down to a green belt level certification to kind of refocus in green Lean Six Sigma and focus on how I can use my skill set to affect environmentalism and eco-conscious behaviors of corporate entities now. Will you um, hold two belts then, like still that master back belt, or do you have to give that up to to go down to go back? It's not about giving it up, and I have all of the certificates from yellow and and Mm -hmm. above, so I still have my original green belt certification. Um, but now I will go and get a refreshed education on kind of a different viewpoint of the skills that I've already learned. And I'm really excited for that. And so you'll hold two tracks then essentially pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. And, um, essentially it, it, it could potentially lead to nothing, but I'm using it as an opportunity to advance myself and to learn more about the current state of my career. It was probably... 2012, 2011, when I first started on my my journey to learn about process improvement and Lean Six Sigma and, and really went down that path. So, you know, 12 years later, I'm kind of going back to the drawing board and saying, what's new? You know, the, the belief that you know everything is always guaranteed to end in failure, in my opinion. So uh, to, to, to learn something new and, and advance myself, but also on par with what we're talking about, this could set me apart from my peers, you know, while attaining a master black belt might be a great certification for those in my career field. Um, there's still plenty of people who have them, Mm -hmm. but this is a new thing. I'm looking at trends. I'm reading research papers. I am trying to get to the foundation of what could be, uh, uh, inflection point in, in process improvement and trying to get in on the ground floor. And that fits really well with what we're talking about, about what's your differentiator? What makes you different? There's a lot of master black belts and lead six Sigma in the world. There's not very many people who have a master black belt who focus on environmentalism or eco-conscious corporate behavior. And, uh, you know, I think it could be a really unique opportunity to say, hey, I match all your other people that you could look at with the certification. But if you want that extra tweak, if you if if you are a company who is interested in X, Y, Z, you know, whatever that may be, reducing your consumption, blah, 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 blah. Um, I now have a leg up. And that's kind of the way I'm looking at it right now. So it fits really well this last week with this conversation. Yeah. Well, a visual I'm thinking of is like 
if you think of each skill set that you really have as a sphere, the more spheres you can build into an intersect, the more unique you're going to be, right? So yeah, that just Venn a diagram. big Venn diagram. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're in the center of that. So if you only have one or two skills, you know, you're that the amount of people who share what you would have is going to be substantial. Like if you just do one thing, there's going to be a lot of people who just do mm-hmm. one thing. So like if you only did process improvement and didn't hold any certifications, you're in a big pool. But yeah. then the moment you add in like certain certifications that puts you in a bigger or a smaller pool, but then you add on these extra flavors, these extra layers, you eventually become an N of one, right? So mm-hmm. if you can be good enough and whatever you focus on has enough value people will come to you then rather than you having to come to them. So before we keep going down that corporate (laughs) rabbit hole, which I can do all day, uh, let's talk about Emily. Um, And and how is she kind of handling this question, whether consciously or unconsciously, of setting herself apart? Because there's a big difference between corporate project management and, you know, uh, Comic-Con artist. Maybe there's not, but what's your perspective on it? How is she differentiating herself? The first thing that I've noticed about her is her art has a very unique voice to it. So there is a big thing in the artist community, and I know we're going to have a guest on here Mm -hmm. talking about the AI stuff and how that's affecting the arts and all this stuff. But there, before the AI tools, there was a ton of artists that all looked the same. You get these anime characters that are very scantily clad, that are very voluptuous, and they print a bunch of posters and show them off to the world, and they sell pretty darn well from what I understand. But Mm -hmm. there's nothing, like, there's you go one aisle over, and then there's, like, the same type of art just from a different person. Hers is very specifically hers. Mm -hmm. There's no one who can really match with her on that and the reactions that she gets is so good like her stuff is so cute and <laughs> that's kind of the big theme of there like oh my gosh that is so cute it's a lot of cats it's a lot of video game characters and also a bunch of memes which are really hilarious mm-hmm. um so she's really used her, her quality of art i think as one of the first differentiators so that puts her in a higher echelon the other thing that she does too is she does have some really f- like the meme part is really eye-catching and that's one of the things that we're going to start refining more and more is looking at how can she get different displays and products that can be seen from a much further distance. So a, one of her bestsellers are just stickers and magnets, and they're tiny. The hard thing then, if you're walking through an aisle with a bunch of different people, how are they people going to notice this little three-inch sticker on the mm-hmm. wall? But one thing that she started doing is carrying blankets. And she's going to get a lot more here for Nebraskan coming up. And so there are these 50 by 60 inch art displays that she can hang up 14 feet in the air. So you can see those from across the room. So that's another thing that she's going to start doing to kind of set herself from the crowd is just actually have larger pieces <laughs> that maybe they sell, maybe they don't, but at least they can get some visibility and draw people in. Mm-hmm. So that's a big difference from a lot of the people who, like from when she started, that just have at best a 12 by 18 is their biggest flagship product Mm. um and then the i think the last thing that she's really doing to separate herself is just kind of comes on the social media front she started recording a lot of videos vlogs nurturing some form of like a community ingraining herself in the artist community and stuff and really being a big player on that and being a 
trying to put herself on the inside rather than being somebody who's on the outside, but also add contributes a lot to that community rather than being just someone who's a taker. And I think that's a, that's a huge differentiator from a lot of the people who feel like they ought to have something to the people who are actually getting stuff and moving for further along. I love it. I think that that kind of conscious effort to stand out is how success is made. Cause you know, <clears throat> similar to having someone doing the same thing as you as being validating, you know, market discoverability or whatever that may be. Um, it can also be really daunting. Um, we talked about, you know, being a big fish in a little pond or a little fish in a big pond, that sort of thing, you know, um, art is probably one of those scenarios where it's a very big pond and you really have to make an effort to stand out there. Um, I feel in, in the corporate world, it, it, it's it probably it might be a little bit easier. I say might, um, you know, you can get certifications and trainings and blah, 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 or get a higher level degree. <clears throat> but I'd be curious to hear your perspective on maybe more blue collar work. How do you stand out in an area where standing out isn't necessarily encouraged? This is probably my my curveball question I've been thinking about asking you because I, I, you know, we look at our demographic of our listeners and most of them want to start a business. Most of them have those wonderful business ideas and we can talk about that. But also we want to be relevant to their day, day to day life or their current life now. And in the blue collar field, I think it can be a lot harder to stand out. How do you recommend that? To go to your question of whether selling your art or being in, whether it's blue collar or white collar and trying to find work or do stuff, I kind of feel like the work portion's actually harder because it's it might not be hard necessarily to get a job per se, but it's probably, it's significantly harder to get a good job that you'll actually enjoy that's the right fit <laughs> oh in art sure i can no, well no in i'm just talking in your career so whether okay. in in all of that so like art itself as long as you if you make something that you enjoy is the first step and then you make something that connects with someone else you'll have a reasonable amount of success and then from there it's just refining to make your way through the ladder to get a career like i would treat not just a job but something that's a career and and be and find the opportunities that are the really good opportunities it it is really hard because most people don't find ways of uh separating themselves and showing off their capabilities to people because it is how the resumes are formatted how people how many interviews and how applications work and all that you really don't have much of a chance to to separate yourself mm. So from the perspective of a blue-collar worker, you have to show how you're different from every other applicant. That could be reliability. That could be different certifications. So let's say, like, one of our friends, he's forklift certified, you know, off of those pieces. But also it's your work history, how long you've done, your references, all of those different pieces. But to communicate those things right away is actually really difficult because most of the time you're not actually, like, pitching yourself the same way you would if you're an artist trying to sell your art or if you're a business person trying to sell to a customer you're kind of putting yourself into a machine right yeah that makes sense yeah so i did find um this tweet recently and that, that's where i'm kind of teeing it up into and let me share my screen here mm -hmm. uh did he do 
So this tweet says, put the best content of your resume in the top left. People read in an F pattern. They read the top and most left content first. Eye tracking studies have made this clear for years. This means don't use the top left for design elements, skills and certifications, or vague summaries of your background. Use it for clear content on your impact, the most impactful launches and features, and a quick encapsulation of your value proposition. So if you're listening, watching the video version, you'll be able to see this graphic here of a heat map chart of a resume. Or actually, this looks like... Uh, just a website, just kind of defining stuff. But it just shows that at the very top is where everyone reads. They kind of skip down a little bit. And at the bottom is basically Siberia. (laughs) Yep. And we do this all the time, whether it be on a resume, on any content we do or anything. We, We don't front load or top load the most important things. And we don't think about it in the perspective of who is our actual, like, consumer who is the viewer is that a hiring manager is that a buyer is that a reader we we tend to kind of like start slow and want to build up like in anticipation of a big movie or something like that but in reality you only get a glimpse in a second and kind of going back to like what we're saying with emily's booth and getting bigger things you only get just moments of catching someone's attention and then wanting to draw them in so they can spend a little more time with you you have to really invest heavily on making the most appealing thing, the most obvious thing for them to want to actually come dig a little bit deeper. So if you're a blue collar worker, to take it back to that, how would you think why it, um, they would want to put on an application or on a resume or if they're going in person to try to look for a job, what, what do you think would be some of those differentiators that would get people to really stand out and and separate themselves from the herd. Sure. So, you know, I, I'm guilty of this too. I've, I've made many a resume in my life and usually it's like my name, my information, you know, uh, contact information. And then I can recall a specific resume I made once upon a time. It was my name, my contact information in like cool font, what blah, blah, blah. And then immediately underneath that, it was like, nine blip points very tiny font of like random skill sets i thought it possessed like excel dashboard making or powerpoint presentations no one cares about that what they want to know and unfortunately why it can be such a pain in the butt to apply for a job nowadays is they want to know that the hiring manager, the HR person who's just kind of screening the resumes, you probably have a better understanding of how this actually works. They will very quickly skim and see if there's relevance to the job they've applied for. Um, if you are applying to be a forklift driver, um, your PowerPoint presentation skills don't mean a whole lot. If you have it, cool. That makes you a dynamic person and can absolutely be placed within your resume, but if you are applying for a specific job that requires a specific skill set, that's what they need to see. Not just like, yep, PowerPoint, Excel, Microsoft Word. Come on. No one cares. What they want to know is, do you possess the ability to do this job? And they're going to scan very quickly. Most of them even use computer programs to scan that for keywords based off of relevant you know, job description information. Um, they're going to very quickly scan and say, is this fluff? 
or is this a directly relatable experience to this job? <clears throat> and if it's directly relatable, they're going to be able to provide it a little bit more attention. They may not read the entire thing next, but they're going to give it another five, 10 seconds and see where your job information and blah, blah, blah. You have to, you're spot on the, the correlation between making these giant blankets that you can hang in the air to attract customers at a Comic-Con where um, the pond can be rather big, so to speak, versus putting yourself out there on a resume for a job or a career that you are passionate about. <clears throat> the similarities are very, very much the same. You have to wow them. You have to get their attention because any random job you apply for on LinkedIn or Indeed or something like that, you could have potentially hundreds of other people applying for the exact same job. How are you going to stand out? And using information like you just showed on the screen here, once again, for the viewers on YouTube, um, <clears throat> you can see that doing that research and understanding the perspective of the individual who's going to look at that resume could be game-changing. It could determine whether your resume gets a second look or is instantly discarded in the pile. Yeah, it's all how you package it, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Again, going back to the artist concept, if you have these big blankets but you put them low and they're covered up by people walking, they'll never see them. So you want to yeah. feature them straight up in the air and for everyone to see. And that... And you want to feature the art that is, or the things that are uniquely you, that are the, what you do best, that or what you do uniquely. Yep. And so if you're talking about going and getting a job, you should be putting about not just what's relevant, but what is exceptionally you, specifically for you, you know, in that situation. So again, with your new career path, you would put, you know, green Six Sigma um, and, you know, all those things, because if they're looking for a process improvement person, they're just going to see like, yep, got this, got this. And then you will stand up like, oh, what is this? And then yeah. you build a little intrigue and you can dive in deeper because they're not going to notice that or they're not going to see that as often. Right. And, and <clears throat> I think that's the additional secret about differentiators, which we've also talked on this podcast. Differentiators open up a whole new avenue of opportunity for you, whether it's the corporate world and you're getting the exact same certification you got a decade ago, you're doing it again, but with a twist on, you know, eco-conservatism, or you're looking at, at an art show or a Comic-Con or something like that, and you're doing something unique. Taking the time to research and understand your customer base, what they find valuable what are new and upcoming trends? And and I'm not. I, th I once heard a quote that said, uh, um, "Fashion comes and goes, but style is immortal." And I loved that quote because I've never been a f stylish person. You know, I will not wear uh, the the coolest thing that you saw on on the runway a couple months ago in in Paris or something. It's just that's not me. And I, you know, we we make jokes about our. I'm 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 not wearing a black V-neck T-shirt. I'm actually wearing a black V-neck sweater. So you and I did separate a, just a little bit today, Tanner. <laughs> but uh, it's not about fleeting trends. It's about doing your research. It's about understanding the demographic of people you are trying to get the attention of and what they find valuable and what will be valuable in the future. Sometimes it's a guessing game, but sometimes you can stumble upon something that can really skyrocket you in your industry, in your um, customer segment. If, if you're in the entrepreneurial, you know, sector, um, it's, 
when I'm, I'm finding more and I fell into this trap, I just became comfortable with my, with my career, with my certifications and, and my general education. I became really comfortable. And now I'm kind of trying to morph that into a more anticipatory, you know, response. I want to be better. And anyone who falls down the trap that says they're the best at what they do or they know everything about their preferred subject, they're lying to themselves because things change at such a rapid pace. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I think we covered most of the bases there. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. I just thinking of all the different ways that I need to improve that in my own life, kind of fe- feature the right things and hide the rather. I think how terrible my last resume I made was now, <laughs> just because it's <laughs> it's so boilerplate and it makes so much more sense too. Because there's things I'm very proud of, mm-hmm. but I did them a while ago, and of course you list stuff chronologically, and then sure. it's at the bottom, and then you're like, why aren't people noticing this? Like mm-hmm. I'm special in this way. Oh, I gotta throw it right back up on the top. Absolutely. No, 100%. Refresh your ideas, people. And more importantly, make your skill set that makes you different, make it prominent. Let people know. Show it to the world because if not, it's just going to get buried beneath the massive amounts of other people. Um, Be unique. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's usually a really good thing. All right. Well, with that, we'll see everybody next week. Bye-bye. Bye.